Testing, testing, testing. Yeah, yeah, ex- that's exactly. March 21st, we've got, we've crossed the thousand number in Canada. We're at 1,288 cases, Canada, 377, Ontario, 193, Toronto, 19 deaths in Canada, three in Ontario, zero, Toronto. Yep. You want me to start? You want to start? You can start. Testing is the thing that, I mean, we, I'm... Testing, testing, testing. Yeah, yeah, ex- that's exactly, uh, yeah, that, you know, I've been critical of the World Health Organization stance, like, at the early part of this whole thing. They were far too lax. They had to walk back there. They were taking, they downplayed the severity of this whole thing at the start, which is another issue. But now they are learning from what's going on. They have a good, I think they have the right tone. They're trying to take the lessons that are learned in the countries like China and countries that have have been dealing with this um, and trying to transmit it to countries like Canada. And they say there's a three, there's basically three main things you're trying to do. You need to test, you need to contact trace, and you need to isolate. So, and, and so the director general keep saying this he's he says, we have a simple message test 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 every suspected case mm-hmm. if they test positive isolate them find out who they've been been in contact with w- within two days before they develop symptoms and test those people too mm-hmm. we are so far from doing that in ontario so far from doing that we're not even testing all suspected cases at all yeah is there still a travel link requirement yeah. on a covid 19 test yeah and that is criminal yeah no that and that seems like why barbara yaffe is that how you say your name i don't know she's the, the one of the ontario top uh, ontario medical people she keeps downplaying people are keep asking her like why are we not calling it community transmission in toronto davila um eileen davila is trying to be as clear as possible she's convinced there's lots of evidence that there's community transmission happening in toronto yes toronto is within ontario and yet at the same i think at the same news conference where both the Toronto person and the Ontario person spoke, right? So Davila and Yaffe spoke. They said different things. <laughs> so in Toronto, so Eileen Davila said there's evidence. And then uh, Yaffe said, what did she say? Uh, the, the, the star put it, um, uh, what was the term? What was the term they used? Uh, well, here's what she said. It was, it was more muddied, much more muddied um, when she was asked about the same issue. To be conservative, we're saying we cannot rule it out at this point. It. Which is crazy. How? Okay. Yeah. I'm just like. I think the problem is if she I admits that. If she admits that there's community transmission, they need to be testing everyone that comes in with symptoms. So they, and just, they don't have enough tests. They don't have enough That's tests. The they problem. don't have capacity. And yeah. so they're just covering up yeah. in the absence of not having enough tests. But that sends exactly the wrong message to the public yeah. who need to know yeah. that this is everywhere. And there's probably thousands of cases across Ontario Yep. right now. Right yep. now. Yeah. People are showing up with symptoms and getting turned like are not getting tested. 
this so the thing about COVID-19 okay so um so right now there's evidence although the powers that be don't seem to be talking about it that in the last few days in the GTA and maybe even in Ontario there's been a surge on on the hospitals now mm-hmm. patients are starting to come in mm-hmm. to the hospitals because it's been around in Ontario for a couple of weeks now mm-hmm. and so when patients have COVID-19 and they go for x-rays of their lungs and they get diagnosed with what is it bilateral interstitial pneumonia mm-hmm. bilateral interstitial pneumonia bilateral interstitial pneumonia that's what i read by mm-hmm. a reflection from an italian doctor your mm-hmm. hospital just fills up with bilateral interstitial pneumonia mm-hmm. and so doctors well at least one doctor outside the gta told an epidemiologist who's on twitter that they have a patient with bilateral interstitial pneumonia consistent with COVID-19 and they're not allowed to test for it. So like, it's just gonna, I mean, what they did in China to the hospitals, they had the same problem in China, right? Like they had this problem where they couldn't test enough, but they were seeing this exactly the same thing. And what they decided at some point was, look, if you see bilateral interstitial pneumonia you call it you call it you diagnose it without the test because it's clearly that's what it's like i don't know what clearly that's what it's close enough that we need to trace all the people that they were in contact with and get them in isolation like that's and what's very worrisome is that our leadership in the province doesn't seem to be on that page yeah and that is going to put us in trouble if we're not contact tracing every single case that we can like we're just behind the we're just behind the ball yeah what is the point of all this social distancing yeah you need to focus on the people that are most likely to have been in contact with this stuff not to mention that i've been hearing alternating reports about are people transmitting the virus without symptoms first i heard yes and then i heard no and now i'm hearing yes again Andre Picard, a very renowned health journalist in Canada for the Globe and Mail, said in his latest column that there is substantial evidence that that is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you need to be testing people without symptoms, mm-hmm. not even people that haven't traveled. Um and it's just beyond well, frustrating that it's not being acknowledged that we should be doing that. They should be yeah. saying like, we don't have enough tests and we're ramping up. And while we don't have enough tests, everybody needs to stay in their house. But but not only like what what the WHO is saying is is it's exactly that. Right. You figure out everyone that is tested for it and it comes out positive i'm saying even if you don't have the official test you say like this doctor yes quoting is saying just if you see bilateral pneumonia you you then have to go back and figure out when their symptoms started go back two more days and figure out everybody within that window who try to figure out how you isolate all those people that they were in contact with Mm -hmm. and it's pretty yeah that's pretty clearly what you have to do and um and we're nowhere near doing that. 
I mean, we could be though. We could just start do like they could just start we doing that. We don't have enough tests though. And no, but even if you capacity. don't, te- but forget like that's what they did in China. Oh yeah, forget just, the test. Like the right. reason there's that jump just in the China numbers, do the right? Contact tracing. Just go as soon as you see bilateral pneumonia, you yes. call it this. You go back and you yes. forget te- like while we don't have the capacity, fine. Yes. We don't test those people, but at least do the contact tracing. Go back. So why? So we could be doing that, right? We could be doing this. The last couple of days, or today and yesterday, I guess. I just have this feeling like we're not outrunning the tornado before anymore. I don't know if I use that analogy on this podcast, but I just have been having so much adrenaline this week, and it felt like we were in a truck with the tornado following behind us and we just had our, you know, mm-hmm. foot on the gas pedal trying to outrun this thing and I feel like it, it caught us and now I don't know where we're at now. Maybe we're just like that in the movie, like the slow motion truck is just like mm-hmm. flying through the air and you're just waiting to see what's going to happen now. Mm. Um, it just... I feel now a lot less confidence in our leadership in Ontario. I feel like they're kind of, they're trying to obscure the community spread for reasons that I don't understand because the most important thing is that the public understands that there's community spread Mm -hmm. so that they can take appropriate precaution. If you're still telling people of Ontario that everybody who gets it has traveled somewhere and there's only like 11 people, Mm -hmm. extra people roaming around, why does anybody want to take precautions and stay inside their house yeah. and do proper social distancing and wash their hands properly? Because what's the risk to them? Yeah. But if you tell them there's thousands of people out there, then that's a totally different story. And that's what it looks like to me because of the deaths we're seeing, because of the fact that if you can only test people for COVID-19 who have been out of the country, then obviously you're purposefully obscuring community spread because you're specifically not testing for it Mm -hmm. by your testing criteria. And then thirdly, there's this website that my attention was drawn to a few days ago by the same epidemiologist. His name's David Fisman. I think he's head of epidemiology at... Um, U of T, School of Public Health at U of T. Mm. And he drew attention to the influenza illness-like tracker Mm -hmm. in Ontario, Mm -hmm. which is a tool that's used to um, catch outbreaks of influenza in the winter. And so emergency rooms report people that come to the emergency room with influenza-like symptoms. And so if you look at this curve, it's a perfect bell curve through flu season. And it had just come down as winter was ending. And then just in the last couple days, it just spiked higher than flu season. Um, Mm -hmm. It looked like it was somewhere around 25 or 30 percent of emergency room visits are for influenza-like illness, Mm -hmm. which at this point you would assume to all be COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Um, and now mysteriously that tracker is offline mm-hmm. so that just feels a little too convenient and so it just I don't know it doesn't feel good what's coming from the top right now Yeah. and I wish there was clearer messaging and 
in order for us to get this under control, we need better testing and case tracking. And in order for us to come out of quarantine and isolation, we need testing and case tracking. Yeah. That's really, everything is hinging on that right now. Yeah. I don't know if they realize like how much they're hurting public trust in in the government. Like that's... Yeah. Well, I'm not... Sh- I don't think they realize it at all or they wouldn't mm. be doing it. But also, pe- I don't think people know not to trust them yet. Like I don't think... Like these are non-obvious things to the general public. That's why it's so harmful. If everybody knew they were lying, then... Everybody could stay inside. Yeah. Or uh, lying is maybe not the right word. Obscuring. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It just transparent. It's so, it just feels like it, the obvious way here is transparency. Just try to be. And if you, like, I don't think anyone, I don't think anyone would really, uh, I don't know, be that negative or, or hold it too much against the government for not having the testing up and running. I mean, everyone's been kind of playing catch up in this game, but just say it, just say like, this is Mm -hmm. where we are. This is where we need to be. This is how we're going to get there. And this is what we're doing in the meantime. And what we need to do to fill the hole. Yeah, exactly. If you have any symptoms of COVID-19 and people like the main symptoms Mm -hmm. are like shortness of breath, fever, cough, but you can have it without those too. Uh. Right. Those are only present. Like the number, no, I think I'm recalling this correctly. I was look reading a study that was done on people presenting in Wuhan. Mm-hmm. And it's like no single symptom was present in more than 40 something percent of the cases. Really? Yeah. Mm. It's like there's not like a super classic way that it presents. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then a lot of people seem to have no symptoms. I also read about this town in Italy. Perhaps it was called Vo. Hmm. Did you hear of it? No. Is this little village like in the middle of the outbreak in the north. Mm-hmm. And they tested every single person mm-hmm. in the village and right. found that 3% of them were infected, which is a huge number. Yeah. And a lot of them w- were asymptomatic we didn't, didn't entirely. Know. Yeah. So they isolated everybody who was infected, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. everybody who they had come to cont- into contact with. Mm-hmm. And two weeks later, their infection rate, they tested everybody again. Mm-hmm. Their infection rate was like 0.4% or something. Hmm. And now they just are like this just healthy little village in the middle of... So I don't know. I mean, obviously we can't test every person, but we can hopefully test every suspected person yeah i mean anyone who shows up with those like basic symptoms like that seems yeah it seems so obvious oh well okay well let's move on it seems so obvious oh uh, maybe the last point so you you looked up how many outstanding tests or how many results we're waiting for now mm-hmm. maybe it's worth just mentioning that I scroll up. 7,239 tests in the system. Mm-hmm. And they said, uh, I think they're somewhere in the mid-2000s, I think right now per uh, d- day. Yeah, per day they can test like 2,000-something. Do you know what that means to test? 
Does that mean just to swab? Does that mean to get a result? No, I think it means to like run a test. Like, I think swabbing is nothing, right? Like you get a swab and like. Except you have to have the swabs. You have to have the swabs. But I think what they're talking about right now is run. Once you have the swab. Yeah. Is actually like. I I assume what it means. Yeah. I assume what. I'm assuming. I don't know. But I'm assuming what this means is there's like 7,000 swabs sitting somewhere. Right. And they're like going through getting yeah. running pcr like mm-hmm. is that really what it i mean yeah. you should you should talk about what that is at some point maybe not now but what the whole process is i mean I'm just because sure people don't i mean it's i think it's interesting anyways um so they they're at two th- somewhere in the mid 2000s to be able to get results every day they by I think they're saying very soon they're going to hit 3,000. By the end of next week, they're going to hit 5,000 is what they want to be. And I don't, I remember like, you know, South Korea, if we say that's the gold standard for the number of tests that are being run, what is the per capita testing rate? Do you have that number in mind? I mean, you can look it up, I guess. Nope, but I'll look it up. Because they, yeah, I mean, that's. That's the question is how much is 5,000 even enough? That's that jumped into my head based on how many we Doubtful. need. Doubtful. Like proportion of the population that we can expect to need testing and so on. And the fact that they're like still doing this double double testing for healthcare workers to k- make sure they're clear once they have it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. South Korea does 6,000 tests per million people 6,000 per million per day no that's total yeah so so they've done 316,000 tests to date so I don't uh, yeah we really need a per day number they don't at at one point they had a number that was per day and I felt Mm. like I kind of felt like it was in the thought it 10,000 or something say, I, I think it's 10,000 too but I felt like I've heard that so but, but what is South know. Korea's population versus Ontario's population if we assume for the moment it's South Korea's population is 51 million so we're like a third that Ontario's is 15 so like less than a third so actually 5,000 is not yeah, bad 30, it's like a quarter or sorry 5,000 be half of that so we'd be pretty it, actually that looks reasonable pretty good that looks south korea ish right like we would have the capacity we need to change we just need to change who we're testing yeah and case track i mean the the problem is that they were at 1000 tests a day i think pro- like not that long ago so they, they mm-hmm. you know i think we have a huge backlog because we're getting there and i think re- getting all the reagents i think was an issue we mm-hmm. got emails at uhn we got i got emails through the through u of t asking for people that had like they sent out this huge list of reagents that they needed for these tests and so if anyone has any of these reagents to like get in touch and find a way to get them to the whoever the government testing places are yeah but i think they're like they're obviously working on getting everything together that's yeah i read about that in the news too that they were short yeah because I'm sure some of them come from China and like they're, you know, the yeah. Who knows, right? Who knows where these a lot things of are? Biotech companies here too, but yeah, they probably are not making things. Mm-hmm. 
So that's definitely the biggest thing. I mean, it's talking about leadership. Oh, do you do you have anything you want to move on to next? Maybe just yeah, on the end of testing, 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 case tracking, case tracking, case tracking, isolation, isolation, isolation <coughs> is the fact that like we just in the last few days had a ton of travelers mm. returning home. Mm-hmm. either returning from March break or returning because of the global situation and can Canadians kind of being called home. Mm-hmm. Um, Bruce Lochner, who is some big healthcare guy in Kitchener Waterloo posted on Twitter that there's 300,000 travelers returning from March break. 300,000 to Ontario, 300,000, all of whom need to go in isolation for two weeks. What do you think the compliance is going to be with that? Are we going to have another outbreak on top of our already outbreak? Yeah. I, I don't know, but it... I don't know. Is, is that number based on... I have no idea. what That number is based on like a tweet. A, yeah. <laughs> I just mean like, uh, I think there must, if there's like average numbers of people that travel on March break, like obviously this year, I think they're probably less than that. Yes. So I hope that like, hopefully that number takes into account. I mean, how do they even know is my question. Like how do they even know how many people decided to actually go somewhere and then decided to come home? It sounds like, like some of the podcasts I'm listening to on this, like people with the means are like actually finding places in the world other than their homes to go to where there's right. like low population density, good healthcare systems, uh-huh. uh, you know, and let low numbers of people right. with this problem. Right. They're actually like moving. Aw- Just move somewhere. Th- else. <laughs> there's like, I don't know. So who knows if people will stay away if they're in somewhere that's like mm-hmm. better. C- I don't know. I believe the people you were talking about are referred to as one percenters. Yeah, for and sure. They are not more than one percent <laughs> of the population. Sure. <laughs> Fair enough. Hmm. Uh, yeah, this the cracks are starting to show here in Ontario. I think that was the title of one of the articles. There's an article. Uh, but maybe that's where I got it from. Yeah. Yeah, this is the Toronto Star article. I've got to say, we've got our finger on the pulse, though, because I feel like what we say usually gets written in a column, like, (laughs) the the next next day. day. Perhaps all the national columnists are listening to our podcast. Yeah, that must be it. I think that's probably what's happening. Okay, do you want to say... So, tying into, yeah, uh, you know, leadership, province leadership, and transparency lack of trust uh, you know the other related issue to that is just the um i mean i guess it's more what's happening in the u.s and the lack of leadership there that we're seeing i think yeah i think here i don't think people are doing it out of malice or any uh, out of I think they're just a little incompetent, if anything, right? Like, and that's probably a strong word to use. What's a right. what's a le- less strong word to use? Not very good. Just not, <laughs> just not seeing the whole picture, maybe, right? right? Like, kind of missing. Slow to the yeah. something. 
if it, yeah, we'll have to figure out what word is good for that. But, uh, you know, but in the U.S., there's clearly like there's these stories about these senators, four of them on both Republican and Democrat sides that tried to like sell stocks with inside information because they knew the stock market. They was tried to, or they did. They really did. I, they they did. Yeah. yeah, they sold stocks and and uh, yeah, it just it just feels like they don't understand the first principle of what leadership should be and ha like how do you expect people to follow your lead you know to me leadership is you sacrifice for the people that you're taking care of for their gain mm -hmm. and these people just want to m reap the benefits of their position at the expense of the people that they're yeah in charge of like that they're trying to care for and it just is so incongruous and it just the problem is by necessity leadership comes with power and so it attracts not only those that want to lead but those who want power yeah no i think that's the thing it's i don't know it it seems like there should be stronger weeding out it, like at the first hint that you know like the people that are that that a leader is in charge of if enough of them like they should be polled regularly or something i don't know like and like mm -hmm. if they if they highlight that this person isn't really in it for the right reason mm -hmm. they should like lose the ability to, to lead and it just i mean like i'm sure this is not a first for these people right like someone that does this is yeah it's not like the first time they looked but out for their own interests. they're still elected. This is the problem with democracy. <laughs> still elected people. I mean, they should like, be. Yeah, they, of course they can still be elected, but they, this stuff should come out in their records mm -hmm. somehow. And people should. Anyways, we're off topic again. Are we? Yeah. Hmm. You should do that thing you did the last time. What did I, was, I do? I don't know. There was like it was good. Oh, I was my oh my topic. hand signals. <laughs> if you we should do this on video sometime so you can see when Tanya is like just hurry it up. Wrap she does it this up. Hand, hand signals. It's okay. good. Okay, it's good. So, I read an article this morning that didn't surprise me and then did surprise me, <sighs> which was McLean's the headline proposing two thousand dollar a month crisis basic income oh, for yeah. all Canadians yes. to be delivered through the tax system and I was like yes mm. I feel like this is a very obvious time to employ universal basic income mm -hmm. um, even if it's just on crisis mode mm -hmm. and then color me surprised when I read mm. who wrote the article and mm. it was a conservative activist who has worked on platforms for conservative parties in like three different provinces including ontario mm -hmm. so there you go so i feel like if there's a conservative in mclean's arguing for basic income it should happen because the ndp and liberals will be on side with it i think <laughs> yeah I well assume. but i mean that's the crazy but. thing that we're seeing in the u.s apparently I, I haven't dug into this enough but what i what i've been hearing superficially is that the republicans are the ones that are basically looking at like a universal basic income similar to what 
you're talking about, but this will be a one-time payment versus ongoing potentially there. Okay, but let's <coughs> fact check that. Yeah, let's fact check this. But the Republicans want to do this, and like apparently the Democrats were slowing its passage, mm-hmm. but who knows why. We'll look into it. Anyways, it would just be, yeah. Was the cons- I mean, the conservatives canceled the universal basic income pilot that we had going here in Ontario and just canceled it, and now someone's advocating for it so anyways i thought that was a very good sign i yes it is a very good sign i will also say about doug ford like he seems like a different person now than Mm -hmm. when he was elected i think he's you know the i mean obviously he's screwed up a few times and he's they've been learning as they go and Mm -hmm. i think he actually has I, i would like to think that he's grown from the person he was when he started this and axed everything right off the bat and yeah you know like i think now he's seeing oh wait a second people get really mad when you do these things and like i think he's a far i think he maybe that's like the response that you're seeing now is partly because of those things even you know Mm -hmm. yeah maybe but i still think we could have better a better government even Mm -hmm. i'm i'm not totally disappointed in his response i Mm -hmm have felt surprisingly positive towards his statements, his public statements and press conferences. But right now, yesterday and today, as discussed at the top of this podcast, it just, things are happening that shouldn't be happening. Mm -hmm. And it's going to cause Ontario to have big, big numbers that maybe we didn't have to have. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's going to be tougher. It's going to be tougher to get out from under big numbers. Mm -hmm. And the last thing I wanted to touch on was how long. So there seems to be people talking about how long are we going to be with uh, living with this pretty strong form of social distancing and limited activities, schools closed and everything like that. And there's a number of people kind of doing models. There was an article, I think, in the Globe and Mail where they showed the different levels of what's, I don't know, social, what, what do you call it? I don't know, the, the severity of the, of the um, efforts that you're, you're undertaking and how long you can expect to have to sustain it. Mm-hmm. And the law, the what unfortunately what those models kind of point to is that this is not going to be over anytime soon. It looks like it's going to kind of go to the end of the need to go to the end of the year, according to their plots. Mm -hmm. But you're saying there's you're thinking that there's other things we have to take into account. Social distancing on its own basically has to last forever (laughs) if that's all you're doing because as soon as you lift social distancing the virus will just pop right back up and until enough people are infected that you have some kind of herd immunity but we don't really want that because that will also lead to a lot of deaths and a lot of overwhelmed hospitals that's why we're all in our homes right now. Um, 
or until there's a vaccine and we can vaccinate people. But the kind of intermediate thing between getting a vaccine or herd immunity and on the other side, social distancing is testing, testing, testing. Mm -hmm. So if you can use social distances like an initial, I don't know, lit on a pot. I don't have the right analogy. An initial something that initially squashes the outbreak. If you can get your case numbers down and your deaths down like they did in South Korea, like they did in China. And then once you have very low numbers, you keep your testing levels high. You test, test, test. Yeah. You isolate, you case track, and you keep those numbers under control. And then that allows society to kind of function again. And maybe yeah. if the outbreak gets starts getting out of control, you start getting 10 or 15 cases, and it'll be like, okay, self-quarantine. We have to self-quarantine for two weeks, everybody in your homes, and yeah. it'll just be like a thing that we're used to. Yeah. But if we can get it down once yeah and if we get our testing up then we can maybe kind of live that way until there's a vaccine and i read a very hopeful thing well maybe it's just maybe it's not hopeful maybe everybody already has this hope but um so wired magazine did an interview with larry brilliant his name's larry brilliant Apparently, he was a lead epidemiologist um, in defeating smallpox. And it's a very interesting article, a very good one Mm -hmm. that you should look up. But the one thing he said is that he has a lot of hope that they can develop a vaccine for this virus. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's great news because sometimes viruses can be very tricky to make a vaccine for. Mm. For example, the flu, which we've been trying to make a good vaccine for for 100 years, and then we get very excited if it has 50% efficacy. Or, for example, AIDS, which we've been trying for 20 years to make a vaccine for and can't do it. Some vaccines just mutate in ways that are really hard to make vaccines for. And according to Larry Brilliant... Who I'm going to believe because yeah. his last name is Brilliant. He thinks there's something about this that makes it easier. He said, looking at the structure, well, it all, it all depends on the structure of the outside of the virus because that's where your antibodies are going to be yeah. docking and how the virus mutates. And so the scientists have all this data, right? Mm-hmm. They like, they know everything about this and they know exactly how it's mutating you can already see like those little like evolution graphs of it as it moves around the world Mm -hmm. and so he's looking at all this data and saying there's nothing about it that he can see that should make it particularly difficult Mm -hmm. to make the vaccine for this virus so that's really excellently reassuring Mm -hmm. to me yeah that's good. But in the meantime, testing, 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 isolation, case tracking, yeah. after we get this under control, Yeah. which is not a simple problem. And we'll take testing, testing, <laughs> testing, case isolation, and case tracking. Yeah. 
I, know, I guess I'm just I guess I'm just trying to prepare myself for you know mentally prepare for the worst in terms of how long you know our l- before we can even figure out what the new normal is right like I think mm-hmm. like how long so uh, I kind of feel like I'm in my brain I'm sort of imagining like in the new year maybe things will be better but until then things are going to be kind of I mean different versions of this until the new year I mean there's no way to predict it accurately there's no way to predict it but just with the I guess in my mind it's like you know happiness is reality minus expectations is Mm -hmm. that what it is that the way you yeah reality right so if I have lower expectations Right. Better off. I mean, yeah, that's a good way to be. It's true. So then, yeah, January. Yeah, stay in here. And there's no... Till January. Avery's not going (laughs) to school till then. We're going to develop our own curricula with other homeschooling (laughs) parents. Curricula of do whatever you want. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't know. It's... Because, you know, we testing, 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 isolation, case tracking. So because we're not testing, 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 we don't know how many true cases we are. We have. But then even if we did know truly how many cases we had, it's very hard to compare ourselves to other countries experiences because they also aren't all testing properly. Yeah. And I was looking at like the early days of Italy's outbreak too and it looked like their deaths were way too high for their cases at the beginning like i think they weren't Hmm. testing properly at the beginning so it's like how can you really say are you on the same trajectory of italy if you're comparing bad testing numbers with bad testing numbers like Mm -hmm. it's just you're just flying blind at the beginning Mm -hmm. until you have the serious cases which which you can't hide you can't miss Mm mm-hmm you can't miss the bilateral interstitial pneumonia. Mm-hmm. And that's where we are now. So the truth will reveal itself shortly. Mm-hmm. We've been doing social distancing for about a week now. Mm-hmm. S- um, but I don't know how well we were doing it because, frankly, even in our household, and I would say we're quite aware of the goings on here, mm-hmm. it took us many days to like scale back and be like oh we can't go to the park right mm-hmm. and even going up for a walk on the trail it's like yeah walking on the trail today felt wrong i mean it felt wrong but also the like the risk because it was busy i should clarify it was it, it was, was very pretty busy. busy but also like so the Eileen Davila, Dr. Eileen Davila mentioned, mm-hmm. like, she was asked specifically that question. Like, we, like, some reporter said, I, you know, I keep seeing, talking about this two meter distance, and I keep seeing families with kids at the playground. And, mm-hmm. and she had a good, I think she has a really great tone with, with mm-hmm. these answers. Mm-hmm. She's saying, yes, we have to try. We also have to recognize that kids need to be outside, like, need to burn off energy and need to be outside. Mm-hmm and nothing's perfect and we keep trying to do our best they're gonna actually put up signs i think to like yep. uh, underscore it at parks 
And like, really, if you think about like, what proportion of the time are you within like six feet or two meters or whatever of someone yeah. on the trail? Yeah. It's pretty small. Like yeah. it's actually, it's not like you're sitting and you're not like in a room in a movie theater where you're sitting next no. to someone for two hours or, or at a restaurant. Or, yeah. You're li like for seconds, someone might walk by you and you're within their range and mm -hmm. I don't know. I still think it's all the same. Andre Picard is now advocating for don't go for walks. Don't go for walks. That's what he said in his latest column. He's like, just sit your butt at home. He didn't say that exactly, but that was his exact tone. I don't know. It's just, it's kind of like if we don't do it right now. Yeah, yeah, If you yeah. don't take like, is the it just these two or three weeks too far right now, Yeah. then we're going to be in a worse I, position and we're going to be forced to do it. I see that. No, I do two see. Two weeks from now. I'm all for overreacting rather than underreacting. But it's but, so hard but, to overreact. How far is the overreact? Like, I, Well, and part of it would be if they could just... Test. I'm sure <laughs> somebody in the government, some epidemiologist somewhere has a very good estimate of the true number of cases out there. Yeah. Or at least a range of the true number of cases. Yeah. And where they are, especially now that people are coming into hospitals, like somebody knows this. It's true. We should, you know, that is that maybe we should turn to the good news portion of the podcast. What is the good news portion of the podcast? Well, first of all, thank you to Patrick for s for using the word binge. <laughs> he told us he binged part yeah, of this. Say who Patrick is. Patrick, I don't remember his last name right now. Patrick, but I uh, have to give his last name. I went to I did undergrad with him at the University of Toronto. Hi, Patrick, and he sent over links to Reddit a couple of Reddit pages where people are tracking things in Toronto and GTA and Ontario. And on those, in a couple of those graphs, it makes it look like Toronto's actually doing well. It's a, it looks like the graph might be l evening, leveling out and not shooting up exponentially, but it's obviously too early to tell. Mm -hmm. It seems like it's creeping that way. And I question all data right now. Right. But the, so the question, you, obviously we're not testing it. it we, we don't have test results yet, but if within Ontario, but I, I, my gut says the proportion of results we would get back from Toronto, GTA, Ontario should be about the same. And you should expect, so, uh, you know, I think as a proportion Mm -hmm. We Toronto looks like it might be doing okay relative to the rest of Ontario. Okay, but let me twist that to be bad news again. Oh. And say that if your testing criteria includes that you must have traveled in order to get this test, maybe it just means that Toronto has more community spread than other places and less travelers. Yeah. <laughs> like if they're yeah. specifically I mean our density, you're right. not right. testing right. Right. people who right. haven't traveled. That's a good point. And we probably do have the higher population density, so it's probably so more likely. All these people have. that are showing up at the testing center with COVID-19 symptoms and they're saying, have you traveled anywhere? And they say no. And they're like, well, you don't get the test. So you're saying there's no good news. I'm saying there's no good news. Mm. I'm sorry. 
I'm very sorry, actually. It's going to be weeks until there's good news, if there's good news. Mm. Um, we just have to stay home. All right. Let's wrap it up with a joke. Do you have a joke? You told me. I don't have a joke. <laughs> you told me. You told me one. No, no. The okay. T- the one about you told me the one about. Oh. Ma- Mary. Okay. Uh, okay. Babies. It wasn't a joke so much as <laughs> the one on Twitter said. Some people say there's going to be a spike in births in nine months. I think there's going to be a spike in divorces in nine weeks. Hashtag, I love you, honey. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Uh, I mean, people who aren't used to That was not even a person that's quarantined, I might add. Right. Or self-isolating. Yeah. Yeah. Frontline worker. I found that pretty funny. It is pretty funny. Okay. I think we end on that note. That was a long one tonight. Yeah. We should end. Okay. Good night. Good night.